Hello and welcome to the Remaining Sane, Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast. I'm your host, Will, a current police officer who has somewhat recently been taken with the study of theology. Today, on the inaugural episode, I interview my friend and brilliant academic, Dr. Benjamin Mitchell. Hello, my name is Will, and this is the podcast Remaining Sane. Just a little bit of a background. I am a police officer and a Christian. And one of the things that I have noticed in police work is that if you are not a Christian or you are not really religious at all, you eventually become cynical or nihilistic or both, or you start abusing substances. And while doing police work, I have really become interested in theology. So I'm decided to create a podcast that is about theology and police work. It's a little bit of both, maybe a lot of one or a lot of the other. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing different people uh, that I know, uh, but I I figure with this introductory episode, I would start Dr. Benjamin Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell and I have known each other, I would say for the past seven years or so. That's kind of, we met each other um, when I was well, we've, we've known about each other, right. seen each other around. Uh, do you mind go ahead and tell us a little about, about yourself, Dr. Mitchell? No, I'm happy to. Um, yeah, I um, grew up in a home uh, of a, an Air Force um, sergeant and uh, later a uh, lieutenant with the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. And so I have a, uh, both an appreciation for and a, and a love for... Uh, uh, our um, friends who serve in uh, police force to protect us mm-hmm. and in the armed forces to protect us. Uh, and so it's an honor and privilege, really, <laughs> for me to, to be be part of this, especially uh, the you. inaugural podcast. But, yeah, um, you and I got to know one another just a tiny bit through your family, mm-hmm. um, uh, both of whom uh, are uh, university professors, and we served on a faculty together. And... Um, uh, and we got to know, I got to know your, your parents uh, better than you. And then more recently, uh, we've got to know one another uh, through our, our worshiping at the same mm-hmm. church. And um, it's, been, it's been a great uh, opportunity both for me to connect my past yeah. uh, with my present and my future yeah. uh, and getting to know you a little bit. Uh, and um, my background is in philosophy and ethics uh, with, with theology as well. I did a, a Master of Divinity uh, in seminary, and then I did a, a doctoral work in philosophy with a concentration in ethics and a specialty in medical ethics. So the intersection of uh, biomedicine and biotechnology is where I've done most of my work. Yeah. Uh, but um, my, my work also has taken me into cultural studies and, and cultural engagement kinds of issues. So uh, what, what, what does it mean to be human? What is human flourishing? Uh, what kind of communities do we need to to create or uh, uh, renovate, if you will, uh, for human flourishing and for and for healthy community, those are things that I'm interested in mm-hmm. and um, try to try to, to read and, and think about. Okay, well, funny you mentioned that. Uh, my first real good memory of interacting with you was uh, at Union University, which is where I went to school. My parents were professors, and where you were professor for how many years? I was there for eleven years. Eleven years. Yeah. Um, I would did this competition for the scholarship, and you were one of the professors that had this. Uh, they, I would say like a Socratic seminars is what it was. Uh, you introduced a topic for about five minutes or so, then we had to talk about what that was, and uh, that was graded, and they awarded a scholarship based somewhat on that. And you actually talked about in vitro fertilization. Hmm. And that was my, I had never heard of in vitro fertilization before. And that was something that kind of struck me because at the time, I, at the time, my senior year was of high school, I think was the most transformative part of my walk with Christ. Um, And it, it was, it was a big changing point in how I saw the world. It was actually the... Of all things, it was fitness that got me into into actually believing in Christ and what 
in, in the Bible, like the importance of reading the Bible, and then on top of that, the, the importance of the sacraments, the importance of actually doing your faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the way I saw that was um, I grew up Southern Baptist, and currently we are both Anglican. Mm-hmm. Um, we're members of the Anglican Church of North America. And I think one of the reasons that I was looking for more sacramental faith is that I've police work also is so you can see this so much in police work as well. But um, one of the things that really captivated me about um, having a, a, a more sacramental church is the ability to actually do something. And so when I was in, when I was learning how to lose weight, because at one point I was. I wasn't right. I don't think at 300 pounds, but I was, I, I was overweight at the time. And um, I, my grandmother of all people, made a remark that I basically need to lose some weight. <laughs> and so, I decided at that time I was going to fix the problem. And so, um, probably wasn't the safest thing, but I mean, I was eating maybe 1,200 to 1,500 calories a day for four months. Not sustainable. Don't do that. But it was the, I had just this crazy amount of drive to, to take the weight off. And so, wasn't eating healthily. I don't recommend doing that. The way that I do it now is very different. Um, but that was the first time that I realized the importance of actually, if, if you want something to change, you have to actually go out there and do it. <laughs> and then that has led into um, not only police work because the reason that I wanted to get into police work was I wanted to do something for the the benefit of society that is not just in my head. I wanted to do something that is with my hands as well. And it has led into more of a sacrament-based faith because it this is where the (laughs) communion I think is, is a really good example of this. If we believe that the body and blood of if if the elements are just symbolizing the body and blood of Christ, then it means less, I think, than the presence of Christ in the elements. And so that that has been, a, you know, kind of how I'm starting with fitness, but into a whole lot of other stuff is how I've gone from maybe one-sided, uh, very symbolistic and memorialist about a lot of things in the church to things actually being real <laughs> and that's why that's why we're, we're Anglicans right now yeah so, yeah. yeah I mean you that's you've raised a really important point and and one of the things that you had to do to lose weight and and to uh, improve the fitness of your body was to change your practices mm-hmm. and practice is a really important um, yeah. uh, component of our liturgies yeah. whether it's liturgy in a church or liturgy of our lives think about um, Think about the way someone uh, becomes a, a, a decent baseball player. Yeah. Uh, you hit the ball over and over and over and over again until it becomes second nature. Those practices form you in many ways, in some ways physically as well as, mm-hmm. as mentally. Um, they form you in certain ways so that those behaviors become second nature. Um, if you think about the way liturgies work in, in religious life or in church life, um, in um, a lower uh, church liturgy, if you will, um, uh, you sing a hymn, you sing a song, you sing a chorus, and and then someone um, speaks to you, uh, and and so almost everything that you're doing is all about the head. Yeah, uh, and there's not as much opportunity for participation. I mean, you can stand and sing, and you can you can open your Bible, and all those things are good. Um, but in um, uh, a, a liturgy like the Anglican liturgy uh, that we experience uh, each week and, and, and more every day in our, in our uh, times in the Word, um, we are actually being formed as participants. Yeah. And we not just hear the Word, but we say the Word. We all rec- recite aloud um, major passages of Scripture, large passages of Scripture, uh, we um, uh, intone, if you will, um, other liturgical uh, texts, the, the creed and, and other, other texts. And then our worship is embodied. 
um, we stand, we sit, we kneel, um, we go to the altar to receive communion. It's, a, it's an active practice that we do. And I, I believe that just as, just as those practices form a good athlete, so those practices form us in certain ways. And it sounds exactly, uh, at least analogous to, maybe exactly like what you were saying about, about um, wanting to move from just a religion of the head to, mm-hmm. to a religion of, of whole body participation, if you will. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there, is, there is a difference. Um, uh, and uh, so, I, so I think that, that's an interesting point that you, yeah. that you raised. Even in career, I've, I've noticed that. One of the things that I did not like about academia is the lack of doing things um, physically. And, mm-hmm. you know, don't get me wrong, I don't think that professors need to be baseball players. But and they can be, but I don't think that one really helps the other. But I have I've always wanted to do something physically as mm-hmm. well. And mm-hmm. what I appreciate about police work is that you can do both of them. There is a lot of, especially if you are a detective, you are out there doing a lot of work, reading a lot of stuff. You're drafting warrants. You're drafting. Um, you're writing affidavits. You're analyzing. Research, uh, you know, whether it be data from cell phone search warrants to, uh, I know with the fraud and pawn guys, they have to look over all kinds of different sheets of people's bank accounts, and, and you know you have to actually do. There's a head part, but there's also a, a physical part as well, and whether that's running, shooting, um, unfortunately getting tasered, pepper sprayed, you know, conditioning. That's also a very important thing. And I think that um, one of the, the downfalls about police work is that because you're, you're doing something good, I think that protecting society and protecting the vulnerable mm-hmm. and enforcing the laws is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You're doing something lowercase g good, and you're doing it with both your brain and your, and your body. Mm-hmm. You can, in you can't all the way get a religion, but you can get elements of that in your police work, and so you can become um, encapsulating, or I don't, that's not like, very captivating for yeah, you yeah. to to be a cop. And so you want to be a cop all the time because you're you're practicing doing a good thing all the time. But at the end of the day, you know, the world is always going to fail you. You're never going to find um, Jesus in a, in a squad car. You have to find Jesus in the scripture at church. And if you make your life solely police work, you're going to go crazy. I've, I've noticed that through personal experience that when I focus too much on police work, then I become just, uh, I become too captivated with it. And I, I start to, in some ways, with my body, I start to worship it because that's all I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You, know, you are what you love. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, kinda... you, you've, you've raised a couple of really important issues. One is we are embodied. Uh, we're embodied creatures. God made us whole-bodied whole, uh, creatures. We are mind, soul, spirit, um, uh, however, however one divides up. Uh, the different aspects of our humanity, but we are embodied, and I can't think of many more um, embodied vocations than law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and even you know, even if you're not a detective, the moment you pull somebody over, your brain is going a thousand miles, yeah. uh, uh, trying to analyze the situation, find out what the threat is. Um, you're, you're gathering all kinds of data, even even because of your experience, even without thinking about it per se, it's just happening. You're yep. doing that, and then you actually have to get out of the car. Yeah, <laughs> and and so it's it's not just it's not just uh, an activity of the brain that's that's going on, but it's a whole bodied activity, and you bring both of those or all of those aspects together. Um, every every time you do something as a as a police officer, uh, an anal- analogy would be um, think about a nurse. Um, mm-hmm. This is another whole bodied experience. Nurses don't just do things with their brains. Yeah. Um, he or she has to use hands and feet. 
In fact, um, when I taught nursing students at Union, the nursing faculty often talked about nursing as being the hands and feet of Jesus Mm -hmm. uh, for patients. And I think that's a wonderful way of expressing um, that that kind of whole person uh, vocation of nurse or, in in your case, law Mm -hmm. enforcement officer. Um, At the same time, uh, we can become imbalanced and malformed when as you as you point out we emphasize one aspect of our of our life over another or even one aspect of our vocation over another i mean workaholism is is a symptom of that in in many individuals you know they just can't put their job away and so they become um monochrome you know Mm -hmm. it's just it's just one color gray um they um they become um they have blinders on, all they see is their work life. And, and in many cases, and we know cases like this, uh, all of us, uh, many cases their personal life and their, and their family lives just disintegrate. Yeah. They implode because um, they have forgotten um, that, be, that we are embodied, whole-bodied uh, uh, beings and that we need things like Oh, I don't know. Rest, um, yeah. and we need other vocations or avocations. We would call them besides just um, our work life. Uh, our families have a needs, and we have an opportunity to to both uh, be on the um, providing side of those needs and also the re- uh, re- uh, recipient side of those those needs, emotional and spiritual, and and um, physical, and uh, all all those aspects. So. So I think it's it, it, trying to trying to live what we sometimes describe as a balanced life, you know, yeah. a life that is not malformed but is well formed, uh, can be a challenge, especially in a culture like ours. Um, and so, and and I would I would guess I'd have to think through this a little more carefully, but I think I think it's true just intuitionally that um, some vocations have a harder time with that than other vocations. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are some that either drive you to, to living in your head all the time or drive you to living outside your head all the mm-hmm. time just just you know kind of as a as a brute being without thinking about yeah. um, implications uh, or consequences of one's yeah. behavior yeah and that's that's one of the things that I've noticed uh, with professors is that um, if I start talking about a lot of professors are very smart. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Both both my parents are, you know, bad PhDs. They're both uh, brilliant. Yes, both my parents are super duper smart. And um, but one of the things that um, I've noticed that professors have an issue with is living in the real world, and that a lot of really nice ideas are not going to work in practice. And that's what I've appreciated about police work is that I get to go out and. Do things in practice, um, but not mean dog and professors. But that's that's just a, a side tangent. Um, no, it's an occupational hazard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if if the only culture you're in is the culture of higher education, mm-hmm. then it's hard. Unless you're in certain disciplines, um, it's hard to um, stay the, your your practices to stay relevant outside the classroom. Yeah. Um, and um, it's an unusual person who can can do that, I think, uh, because we are we are um, you use the word encapsulated, or we inhabit certain cultures and subcultures, yeah. and those shape and form our practices that then shape and form who we are. Um, and it and it takes it takes both intention, awareness, and um, discipline to kind of kind of step outside of the the idea and start to think about yeah. how this sort of cashes out in practice outside yeah. one of the things I appreciate I'm, I'm certainly no um, I'm certainly no model of this but one of the things that I appreciated about my training as an as an applied ethicist was that um, while we were challenged and and are challenged all the time to think big ideas, you mentioned in in vitro fertilization, we have yeah. to think about all those scientific aspects of in vitro fertilization. At the end of the day, um, somebody has to make a decision. <laughs> so you know, are we going to do it or not? And then and then why or why not? And so you you can't just live in your head. You've actually somebody's got to actually say yes, I, I want to do this or no, I don't want to do that. 
And one of the one of the benefits of the program that I was in, one of the great um, gifts of the program that I was in at, at University of Tennessee, was that our program was grounded in um, the um, Department of Philosophy, and we did all of our training in uh, in ethics. But we also did um, a year's worth of clinical rotations in a teaching hospital and and a summer set of rotations in a mental health hospital. So in the teaching hospital, I wore a white lab coat. It said medical ethics on it. I had a hospital name badge. I went on rounds with the doctors, nurses, and physicians as as a student, but I went on rounds with them and I, I actually examined cases. So I wasn't looking at I wasn't looking at uh, the cases in medical ethics just in a book. I was actually seeing them at the bedside, yeah. and and actually, um, in some in some cases, even as a student, I had the opportunity to engage with the patient or engage with the caregivers, uh, and um, uh, uh, in in some cases was even consulted on 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 a case or two. So. Um, that living living in both the the world of ideas and the world of of um, a- action and decision making is is um, it's it's probably rare, um, but it's also um, deeply deeply satisfying yeah. and, and it's important. And, and I think that's what you. I mean, it's from from our, our conversation even before we began. You spent a lot of time in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> Um, both both in your formal education and then your education as a law enforcement officer, you spend a lot of, a lot of time in the classroom. So you're not you're not um, uh, averse to learning yeah. in the head, but then you got to take it out on the beat. Exactly. And and um, you you may have to take it to the courtroom or wherever it is that you're called upon to to give an account of uh, someone's behavior and your behavior for that matter. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, you live in both of those worlds and uh, trying to maintain that balance and, and stay well-formed rather than malformed uh, is, is part of the, the yeah. challenge. Yeah, the, the importance of balance has always been another thing that I've really tried to hit home uh, when it comes to my personal life or my family's life because you can't, I, I personally struggle a bunch with with the inability to, um, to to do more than one thing at the same time, when it comes to long term things for my life, I I uh, when I first started being police, I thought that I you know was going to go work at a, a big Fed or a state agency. Still don't know if that's going to happen, but that was my entire focus the entire time, and that's just not healthy because you become anxious about am I going to get the next job? Am I you know. Am I going to go, do I have to go do this new training so that I can get this one little bump of half a point above this other person so I can maybe get this one job way over here right. in Texas right. or whatever? Uh, but that's just, that's not healthy. Um, and I think that one of the, the issues personally I have is that I have to be able to trust God that, you know, I'm, what I'm doing right now, I'm making progress. And although there are other people that I know from my life that are going out to law school or they're going out to, graduate school or have really nice internships that work in New York and you know I'm I'm only 24 years old and so I'm I haven't gotten to colleagues yet that are at the head of some big company or are really really up there but you know that I've I know someone uh who is an acquaintance of mine who is now uh at graduate school at Vanderbilt I know mm-hmm. someone else went to Harvard and this that and the other and, and I'm hitting I'm sitting here as a police officer and Part of me, you know, kind of looks down on that, but on the other hand, I know that what I'm doing is is the right thing for me and for my family right now. Yeah. And um, and being able to and being able to have balance in the way that that I see the world, and not just be career focused or just be family focused, but to to kind of to to, to mix both of them and. Your work is something that you use to provide for your family, but your family is is why you do your work. Um, that and that you sh- you should work. I think it's, I think it's a good thing for you. Balance has been just a, and I also think it's something that Christ emphasizes over and over and mm-hmm. over and over, and that is is very important that we don't that we're not Gnostics. We can't just right. um, you know nothing means anything, but we're not 
Pharisees either. I mean, you know, in that we have to follow every single little Jewish law. You know, we're not Jews, um, and there there is a balance to it, um, and that's that that's been that's been huge. And um, I, I don't know if if you would um, know anything about this in your your work with uh, bioethics, but one of the things that I, I did not know this, but it makes so much sense to me now that I've, I've learned about it, is that uh, exposure to pornography for young men, not only does it just completely disrupt their sexual lives, but it also really uh, makes their ability to make long-term decisions, it just kind of throws it out the window, or to in- inhibit, it really inhibits their ability to um, to have self-control, mm-hmm. um, and whether you're religious or not, I, I think that people would recognize that pornography is a bad thing, um, especially for minors. And that, at least, um, that's something that I've seen that it really affects your ability to control your impulses, mm-hmm. um, and you need that. Is I think it's an essential part to to be able to be balanced. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. If, yeah, I mean, it's a. Um, I mean, the the research that's being done now on all kinds of images, uh, digital images, and cl- including uh, yeah. pornography, um, is that there is both a psychological and and from our perspective, of course, there'd be a spiritual um, aspect to it, but also there's a physical aspect that that the brain is being wired in a certain way, certain connections are being made, um, and. You know, warnings now are um, uh, not to give young children um, iPads and those yeah. kinds of devices, uh, uh, smartphones, uh, because uh, not not just because it may expose them to certain images, although that that's true, that would be harmful to them, but also because it it um, wires the brain to engage those images in in certain ways yeah. that say reading or playing uh, doesn't, uh, and so. Um, that if we're thinking again about practices, the practice of exposing oneself to pornography um, constantly has both biological implications, but then also those deeply emotional and spiritual implications. Yeah. And as we sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, as we sometimes say jokingly, I can't unsee that. You know, yeah. we say we, we somebody says says something, uh, and so oh, I can't unsee that. Uh, it's true. It's true of pornographic images. We mm-hmm. can't unsee it. It is. It, it becomes part of our psyche and part of and then and then part of the um, uh, the the weight of our fallen humanity that we have to constantly uh, then resist yeah. and deny. Uh, and well, um, even and and the tragedy is, of course, that that the human body is is God's good gift that we talked about a moment ago. And that human sex, human sexuality, and sexual intimacy is God's good gift. Uh, it's an, it's a, it is an ordered good yes. that we have disordered <laughs> yes. uh, through our uh, disordered desires, and um, that's that's part of the tragedy is that we've taken something so beautiful and it's become perverted, and now perverts whole um, communities, families, uh, disrupts lives. Um, uh, and leads leads people sometimes, or assists them at least, in um, doing pretty despicable things. Yeah, yeah the I think that um, in police work, uh, this is a huge point. Police work, you, you are surrounding yourself with some of just the worst, whether it be sexual or violent sin, and you know you have to come home, and in some ways you. You really have to watch it that you don't bring that home with you. But it, because you're human and things just don't just go away when you walk into your house, you've got to find a way to, to cleanse that. Yeah. Uh, one of the ways that that I do that is um, confession of sin. That I think super important. I think that we would have half the mental health issues that we have now if people were just to confess sin. I think that that uh, really gets at so many people. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There's you know. A lot of stuff outside of sin that can be mental health based, or uh, but there, I think that a lot of people with anxiety or depression, a lot of times they just need to admit that they're wrong about something or they're being prideful about something. At least that's my personal point of view. Mm-hmm. 
in my personal experience. And then once you confess your sin and say, okay, I messed up here. This is, you know, how do I, how do I purge this away from, from, from my body? Um, and that's something that I, I, I have to do. Like, for example, I worked uh, the bars downtown a couple days ago, and I got home, and I had just gotten done seeing all the women wearing scantily clad stuff, all the men doing, you know, cussing at each other, mm-hmm. fighting with each other, all the bad music, all the, you know, the the over the, the overconsumption of alcohol, people abusing substances, all of it, and I I felt like that was. I felt like something come over me for a minute, and I had I had to come home and do um, a daily office and sit there and do a bit of meditation, read the scripture, and get that out of me before I could before I felt like I was at home because I, I did not need to bring that home with me because it's it's not it's not ordered it's not right right and yeah you don't you don't want to make your home the garbage can where you bring all that stuff and <laughs> yes <dump it. laughs> and you certainly don't want to make your family the garbage can where you dump it so 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 the challenge for the challenge it seems to me because i this is a challenge for pastors sometimes too or priests um the challenge is that on the one hand um you have to engage with people um uh and you and you sometimes see things you wish you you had never seen, and you can't just internalize that. You can't just keep it inside you, um, but you also can't dump it on your family. So what yeah. do you do? Yeah, um, you've got to give it to give it to God. Uh, you've got to you've got to, um, as you said, um, cleanse your 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 imagination. Cleanse your your own sinful reaction to those things because you can react in anger or or you know you can despise those who are created in the image of God when you see them behave that way um, those are sinful patterns as well and they lead to the kind of what as you open this this uh, conversation they lead to the kind of uh, nihilism or um, the kind of cynicism mm-hmm. uh, unless you have a way to to process those and so you know there are lots of lots of um strategies on offer to process those from uh as you said earlier um uh substance abuse uh or maybe uh, eastern uh religions yeah. <laughs> religious practice those kind of things but we're we're given in scripture uh we're given the the insight and the tools and thanks be to god uh, we're given the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit to enable us to engage in the kind of practices you were just saying in the divine office. Um, to um, I, I, you know, I, I'd like to I'd like to be able to say um, to cleanse ourselves from those things. But um, there's always I'm I'm sure uh, because we're we're human. There's always some residual. Um, Oh yeah, uh, but but oh, yeah. Um, but we have the confidence that um, uh, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. And that's a great promise uh, that we need to live into, so to speak. Um, and, um, and and then we can you can leave at the at the door, if you will, of your house. You can leave those things at the door. Uh, rather than bring them in and contaminate, you know, the entire family relationships yeah. with your own internalized um, uh, anger, disappointment, um, conf- uh, um, confusion, or um, uh, you know, or despair. because um, yeah. it's pretty, uh, you know, you know much better than I do. But um, my experience over um, my number of years uh, tells me it's it's pretty pretty bad out there sometimes oh yeah and, yeah the uh the and i think different stuff affects us differently yeah and there's you know things that are going to get to everybody but the one of the things that i i have never had an issue with myself and i, I don't say this to say that i'm more pious than people or the, but mm. my my struggles are different um yeah. and i have never had an issue on the street with um anger towards suspects i've never i don't i I mean i've gotten really mad at people but i haven't i haven't violated somebody's rights brought them out of a car and you know beat them up on the side of the road it's not something and i know it's something that unless i were to become a very disordered person (laughs) would be something i'd do at all 
Um, but something that that really gets to me a lot is uh, violence, especially sexual violence towards kids. Yeah. That is something that if I'm not with another officer, it's going to go bad. I have to have someone else with me to keep me accountable for my right. actions right there. Um, I've had one call where I won't go into it, but a complete victim. It was a hundred percent bad guy. He's now in prison. Thank the Lord. And hundred percent good, innocent little child. And the bad guy got to the little child and there was no, it's not like the, the victim was asking for it or, or anything. It was a hunt. Like, she was 100% was not asking for what happened to her and it was bad um, and I walked right into that but the there there are some situations that if I don't um, you know cleanse myself of the of the anger that I've got then you know I, I'm gonna bring it home yeah um, and that that was a that was a situation that really bothered me. But uh, there are other situations that don't bother me that you know bother other people. Right. And so it's right. just, it just depends. Right. You have to find out where, as we say, um, you have to know where your buttons are, um, and then and then know how to respond to that. Yeah. My dad uh, spent twenty seven years in Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. The last part of that was in the transportation division, but the but most of that time was spent in the Hillsborough County Jail, a major. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, county jail in Tampa, Florida, and uh, he, you know, um, he had to learn how to deal with his own feelings towards some of the inmates uh, because you know he knew what they were in there for, um, and and it was interesting for me to to hear him talk sometimes about just as you said, even even in the inmate population, there are some um, there are some crimes. Uh, that um, are judged more harshly oh, yeah. than than other crimes, and yeah. and child sexual abuse tends yeah. to be one of those the that one. that um, uh, they uh, a, a, a child sexual abuser doesn't always do well in jail. Oh yeah, um, yeah. one time we arrested. Uh, so the marshals are called in saying that there was a guy that had a warrant for kidnapping and raping a kid up in uh, Michigan, and he was going into the bus terminal where we are, and. Um, long story short, the marshal arrived on scene. There was a couple other officers there. We were able to find the guy and took him to jail. And then while we were at the jail, he asked what his charges were. And I told him, buddy, that is not a good idea. You don't want me to tell you what your charges are right now. <laughs> and uh, and he's like, man, what my charges is? And I'm like, buddy, you really don't want to know. And then go, go ahead and tell me. So I told him in front of everybody else. That he was there for kidnapping and raping a kid, and he was getting extradited back to Michigan for that. I don't know what happened to him after that because I left the jail, but I can't imagine it was good. Yeah, because yeah. uh, you know that's, uh, for at least from what I understand, that is the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to the jail. Right. If you're if you're in jail or prison and you sexually assaulted a kid, then it's it's bad news bears. Yeah. We're gonna take a little bit of a break for just a second, uh, but we'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. I figure what we get into next, we've talked so much about balance, is what are some of the ways that we can practice having a balanced life? Um, I've already talked about confession, how that's super important because of one of, of one of the things to not be balanced in your life, you should be all of it humble and none of it prideful. <laughs> um, but what, what are some of the things that you've done in your life to, to promote a more balanced life as opposed to being... Uh, monolithic. Yeah. Well, uh, um, let's not let's not start with me first. Um, let's start with let's start with uh, practices uh, that that we learn in Scripture. Okay. Um, uh, whether I I'm practicing them, them or not, they're yeah. still the right <laughs> thing to do. And I mean, one of the first ones is the whole Sabbath principle. 
I, I, I've, some, some years ago, I, I, I was just struck um, in, my, in my heart and my mind uh, by the, the very strong uh, prohibition against breaking the Sabbath in the Old Testament. I mean, in, in, in Scripture, uh, in the Old Testament, if you break the Sabbath, it's a capital offense. Mm-hmm. And I asked I ask myself, why would that be? Uh, why, why was God so severe about breaking the Sabbath? So I began to, to, to think about that and begin to do some research. And, and one of the things, this, this may not be the only reason. Uh, 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 one reason may just be God said it, so I ought to do it. Uh, not ought to, I, I, I have to. Yeah. Um, but also, um, uh, if you think about it, uh, people in agrarian cultures like the people of Israel spend all their their hours of each day and all their days of each week and all their weeks of each month and all their months of each year um, just trying to get enough calories to survive. Uh, they're either planting crops, cultivating crops, harvesting crops, storing crops. Um, they're just trying to get enough uh, food to survive. Uh, it's just the nature of a kind of agrarian lifestyle. Um, and God says, you take a day off and I'll provide for you in six days what you need for seven. And the reason I think, or the most important reason I think uh, God put such a premium on the Sabbath is because it was, it was a question of trust. Do you really believe that God is going to provide for you. It's a matter of faith. Do you really trust him? So the Sabbath is not meant to keep us from doing um, fun things at all. Um, the Sabbath is a, a test of our faith in God's provision, if you will. The other thing about that was that the nations around uh, the people of Israel were not Sabbath keepers. So it also distinguished God's people from the nations around them, the pagan nations around them. They, they were people of faith. Uh, they were uh, followers of Yahweh. Uh, and so um, they took a Sabbath. Um, so I think practicing a Sabbath, and, and you're in a line of work where you don't always get Sunday as your Sabbath, no. <laughs> uh, but having a Sabbath principle in your life where, where you can put things down, um, kind of uh, walk away from it, um, worship the Lord um, in in your private devotions, in your in your use of uh, the the divine offices, um, uh, in many different ways. Um, uh, you need that Sabbath in your in your life, uh, and and that's how God made us. He made us uh, uh, to be people who need rest and opportunity to reflect and worship. Um, so I think that's that's one of the uh, practices that I have come to appreciate um, in different ways. I have a really, really close friend who pastored for many years. And of course, for a pastor, Sunday's not the Sabbath, but you could hardly get him to do anything on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was his Sabbath. And um, he, he protected it and he was better for it uh, because he did that. Um, Praise God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and then as you, as you were saying, uh, the, the, the practices that form us as Christ followers, um, whether it's uh, prayer or um, fasting, uh, scripture reading, um, confession, um, fellowship among uh, the, the people of God, there, there are so many of those that are, are, um, uh, are, are the practices that help us inhabit life and inhabit the world in a way that is different from the, the cacophony and the fren- frenzy of the culture around us. And they, I think they, uh, I don't want to use psychological terminology too much, but, but um, I don't think it's a bad term. I think they kind of ground us. They center us. Yeah. They, they help us remember what's, what's important. As, as the old expression goes, keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so easy for us to make um, the trivial the main thing instead of keeping um, our focus on Christ and, and, um, and following him in community. We do it in the family. We do it with, with other um, people of faith. And um, so it's not, we're not just, we're not just monastics, although there's nothing wrong with, with monastics.
monasticism per se, um, but but we're not monastics. We're members of a of a community of, yeah. of, of faithful. So um, I think that I I never thought of this before, but um, having a kid also is another way that yeah. um, can be like it expresses the element that you have to trust that God is going to provide for you because um, you know I have a kid and it is sometimes just wild how God has provided for our child. Our child mm-hmm. came out, no health problems. My entire family is full of health problems. And uh, we were very surprised because, I, you know, unfortunately, medical bills rack up very quickly. Or that, that scares me all the time, is yeah. medical bills. Yeah. Um, now, I know that we're eventually going to have to put her in school. And we don't know how we're going to be able to pay for school. Or... Uh, when it comes to having more children, you know, it, it is very much a a sacramental thing. Uh, it it, it, uh, it sanctifies you to mm-hmm. have a kid because it is practicing faith in Christ. That you know, here is the child that I am giving to you to Christ. Please help me provide uh, for this child to raise him. To glorify you, right. uh, and that, that has just been as a dad, especially as a dad who is all the time working, all the time gone, getting called out for people doing stupid stuff, um, and having to trust that although I'm not always at the house, that God is going to um, provide for and to help sanctify my kid. Yeah, yeah, and that is. Yeah, and, and it's 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 a both hand. Um, on the one hand, God provides, so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. But that doesn't mean we just wait for it to fall from yeah, heaven. Yeah, can't be lazy. Um, uh, so, so we also are stewards of uh, the gifts that God has given us. And in this case, um, there are things that you it's impossible for you to do uh, for your for your child. Um, you have to trust God to do that. On the other hand, you steward your resources in ways, both both personal resources, physical, emotional, spiritual, and and also um, uh, your your financial resources. You steward those in a way that's different uh, now that you have a child than you would have uh, perhaps exactly. uh, before you had a child. Yeah. Um, it's so much more uh, sanctifying because I, I know that if I were to say, let's go. Know, buy an optic for a gun or buy mm-hmm. I I now I have so many more issues spending money than I do mm-hmm. before I had a kid because I know that the seven hundred dollars or whatever that I use for a gun is seven hundred dollars that she doesn't get. And mm-hmm. I have to think about, okay, is this worth it? Have I saved up enough money for this? Am I and I think that it's a good thing because it forces you to um, it forces you to be more cognizant about providing for other people on mm-hmm. top of just yourself. And that is why, <laughs> on top of this, that is why um, I, going back to mutual fertilization, why I think abortion is evil <laughs> because it is the complete reversal of that. It is putting yourself above someone you're supposed to provide for, that you're supposed to provide for. Um, and it, it it is, in, in in many ways, it it is the reverse of sanctification. You know, right. It makes you more sinful. Right. Um, and don't get me wrong, I have a a lot of sympathy for mothers that are put in the situation where the man leaves and she's stuck with a baby. And sure. you know, I don't I don't want to sit here and say, hey, you're just this terrible, awful person, and God's never going to love you because it's not true. God forgives you. Um, but there, it is the more that I have studied into theology and and, and read Christ's word, the more that I have realized that abortion is is such is so disordered. It 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 looks away from Christ mm-hmm. so much um, because it is the the most vulnerable of us being taken from the womb. Where they're supposed to be the most protected. Yeah. Um, that that is realizing that has been another step towards um, my 
real importance on actually practicing, you know, faith because it if I am practicing balance and practicing the Christian walk, then I am actively combating that. Right. Um, right. And as Christians, we know um, we're not only embodied, as we were discussing earlier um, in, in the conversation, but we're also dependent. And Western culture in general, and American culture in particular, um, forms us to be control freaks. Yes. You know, it's all about my life. It's all about me. Um, I'm, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make that happen. I'm in control. And in some cases, abortion is an example of that. Uh, no, I didn't want this child. Um, I'm in control. I'm going to take the next step and get rid of the child. Um, what, what, what we're called to do is to depend on God, uh, to depend on one another. Your, your child depends on you and we don't say that there's something terrible about that we say no that's exactly what the parent-child relationship is um the child depends on the parent to protect and to provide and and to nurture and to love um and the same the same is true of us we should not be control freaks we need to depend on god we need to trust god um again doesn't mean we're we're not active it doesn't mean that we don't we don't um exercise good stewardship it doesn't mean that we don't take responsibility it it means at the end of the day we realize um our life is not our own we've been bought with a price yes and um we um uh we say i'll do this today if the lord wills um to to quote james i'll do i'll do this if the lord wills um because i realize i'm not the one who's finally in control yeah um, so living under the umbrella of the sovereign love of God, he is both loving, but he's also sovereign. Um, living under the umbrella of the sovereign love of God is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus because he was both yes. and is in both bodied, embodied and dependent. Yes. Um, you know, so um, we, we've, as, as Christ followers, we have to learn those through our practices, those traits through our practices, yeah. develop those those virtues or, or those um, characteristics of Christ-likeness. And I think that it is especially difficult for um, police officers to realize that they need to be dependent on people as well. In some ways, it's more... In some ways, we are more wired towards that because um, the, the team I work with, I know that some of the calls that I go to... like For example, if we have a, a six-car pileup on the middle of a, big, of a busy intersection. If I try to block that by myself, I'm going to get run over. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. So I have to have more than one person there with me. They have to help me tow the cars, arrest people for X, Y, and Z, write a ticket, write multiple tickets, whatever whatever happens. Um, but in some ways, we are also, we lean more into um, thinking that we are going to be independent and... Um, and we don't need to depend on anybody else because we're so used to imposing our our will on other people. Yeah. Because or in the best case scenario, the rule of law. Yes. Yeah, so there people. we go. The, yeah. I don't yeah. mean to say that our you know, right, I, right. I I can't make people do what I want them to do. But if I have to arrest them, what other job except maybe being a bounty hunter that you are going out there and you if someone decides that they're not going to do something we make them do it yeah um and so that is that is something that um i think the cops have an issue with is that we a lot of times will think that okay if i don't get this job then i'm or if, I, if i don't get this federal job or if i don't get this promotion then i'm going to go out and i'm going to do every um every little thing in the world to make sure that I am the next best candidate for whatever's coming up. And that can turn to workaholism. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier, we don't become balanced. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or just ticking boxes. You know? Yes. Um, I'm just going to tick these boxes because that's, uh, you know, if I, if I get enough boxes ticked, then I get, I get the promotion rather than saying the reason that I want to do a good job um, is because God's called me uh, to pursue um, excellence and yeah. faithfulness in in my in my job, and also to realize that that um, whatever authority you have as a police officer is derived. That is to say, 
it comes through the state um, and um, the state uh, gets its its authority through the uh, through yeah. well through the people and then and then through God. Um, mm-hmm. He's the one who set up the civil magistrates, um, yep. as it were, um, in his in, in a system of government. And um, so, so any authority that that you have on the street is not your personal authority. It's authority that you get through the community. Um, that includes, um, you know, that, that starts with God and works its way down uh, to, um, you know, the the mean streets, as it were. Yeah. So um, that I think that that's a a remedy. I I hope uh, would be a remedy, or at least a treatment, um, for the kind of um, you know cowboy mentality that sometimes I think. Um, law enforcement officers, military personnel, and others kind of can develop um, that, yeah. that they're the, they're now the boss, and um, I'll never forget a uh, person in a in an agency that I worked for one time, and um, that I won't mention, uh, who came out of his office one day and said, and he wasn't joking. Now he said, "It's great to be in charge." Well. And it's not so great if people's lives depend on you, and and if uh, uh, if uh, you are accountable to other people. It may not be so great to be in charge. It's just a heavy responsibility that you have. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that's that that is that is so important for us to remember because um, you know we I, I don't do my job without getting the training and the licenses and the and the trust the public right. has in me. And you know, on a personal note, I know that as a police officer, I, I'm not out there arresting people for no reason and planting drugs in people's car. I can say 100% that I have, on, on the big scale stuff, never violated people's, people's rights. I mean, you know, maybe I forgot to search somebody, um, or rather the other way around. I, I searched somebody because I knew they were getting arrested, but I... I, maybe I shouldn't have at that point, but the on like the big picture stuff, you know, I haven't lied on police reports, I haven't lied on my affidavits, I haven't, you know, done the done stuff to I think get rid of the of the public's trust to, to vacate the public's trust and right. my ability right. to and 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 law and policy makes makes a place for judgment calls. Yes, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. It says sometimes. You do the best you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain inviolable rules that if you break them, you have to pay. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then there's wisdom and um, situations, and we we trust people to figure out the best way to handle that. Yeah. Um, and then, and then there's that as you as you said so importantly, there's that accountability. You may have to go back and replay that whole situation before others, so to speak. And then give an account of why you chose this over that. Yeah, um, and the um, the w- one of the things that I appreciate about the American um, system, at least in Tennessee, I don't know how it is in other states, but in Tennessee, um, I have to arrest somebody. There's eight different criteria um, that something has to meet, um, or it has to be a felony that the person wants to press charges for, or if it's a crime against the state, I have to arrest. Uh, but I. There, there is a lot of discretion mm-hmm. um, in American police work mm-hmm. because for misdemeanors, unless it's uh, like DUI or it's um, domestic assault, then I have a lot of discretion. Um, so if I pull somebody over and they have 10 grams of weed, I don't have to make that arrest. Um, and I, I don't think I have ever arrested somebody for just a, a small amount of weed. Um, but sometimes you're in situations where you have to just find something where you need to arrest somebody to, to quell whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if there's a big fight going on, then what you do is um, is you, you find the first person that is fighting, constitutes disorderly conduct, doesn't matter if other people want to press charges for assault, it's at least disorderly conduct because you're fighting in a public place. You you know snatch that person up, put them in the back of your car, and you just keep going until the fight's gone. Um, and I, I I like that about the American system mm-hmm. because it depends on police officers being reasonable people to affect that kind of system of justice. Right. But 
when police officers start abusing it is when it's so bad. And so that's why body cameras are good um, mm. because it keeps us accountable so that we're not doing, you know, we're not abusing the very little authority that we have. Yeah, and and uh, on the other hand, um, has also exonerated officers from false charges mm-hmm. uh, because you have the, tr- the transparency that the camera provides yep. so that um, everybody can see it and say, well, no, uh, I know what he or she was accused of, but yeah. that's not what we saw on the camera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I personally have had multiple situations where someone's come in and said, I was mean to him. Uh, like one, one time, the only... Uh, internal review I've had of me um, that didn't turn into an investigation from another from another agency was uh, some lady called in and said that I was being too mean when I was working a wreck and well I was working a wreck at a with I was working a three car wreck. I had to block all the lanes of a six car of a six lane road. So I had to block all the southbound lanes, so three lanes. Um, as people were hurt, as I was working in this very complicated wreck where this guy had blown into another car and caused another car to another car, and people were standing out in the middle of the road, and I had I yelled in a loud, commanding voice to get off the road because I don't want you to get run over. That that that's my if I if I watch you get run over, not only do I not want you to get run over. Then that that turns into I have to call more people out there. You get hurt, whatever. Um, but the people who investigated the case basically said, "Hey, you weren't being mean. You just were being commanding." But you know there there is a difference. And don't get me wrong, there are plenty of police officers who have done plenty of terrible things. Um, there have been uh, all kinds of cops that have done. No, rape prostitutes have uh, stolen money from people, planted drugs in people's car, rape people, or not rape people, uh, rob people that didn't speak their language. You know, all kinds of different, really crazy stuff. And so, um, and getting back to living an ordered life, if you're not following Christ, if you're not living a balanced ordered life then you're eventually that sin's going to bleed out sure. and being a police officer is a very easy way for sin to bleed out um you'd be surprised how many police officers get duis in their patrol car mm. that's all the time so yeah well um ben one thing that uh, at the very end i would like you to do is there any kind of um homework or any kind of book or media that you think that a listener should uh, explore more to kind of get more into how to live a balanced life what is a balanced life you can give me an example or yeah uh, yeah there are two things that come to mind in light of our conversation and you mentioned it earlier on um uh, james k.a smith uh, jamie smith has a wonderful volume called yes. you are what you love <laughs> And we are shaped by our desires, and our desires shape our choices. And um, uh, uh, we, we, our practices uh, help cultivate um, either appropriate loves or inappropriate loves, uh, desires. So we, I think that's a really, really helpful book. It's accessible. Uh, it's it has both profound truths, but it's also accessible to someone who doesn't have a deep theological education so it's a really good book another book i found really helpful on the sabbath is by norman wiersba uh norm teach it norman teaches at uh, duke uh, but it's called living the sabbath and he he not only has a section on uh, kind of the biblical material on sabbath uh, but he also has some really practical helps about um, how one can um, uh, live a, a sabbath oriented life not just on Sunday uh, but but the other ways of, of uh, enjoying the rest um, of God and rest um, in God um, so those those are two that I think are really helpful I found I found um, uh, helpful um, yeah so I think those are two, those are two that that I would recommend uh, pretty highly and then oh I'll mention one other um, uh, Tish Harrison Warren uh, uh, has a wonderful little book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Oh, yeah. And she yeah. talks about, 
how the practices of everyday life are examples of liturgy, and they and they should and can lead us into worshiping God. Everything from getting up in the morning to brushing your teeth, to having an argument with your spouse, to losing <laughs> your keys. Uh, she just goes through a whole day of of uh, events in our lives and um, unpacks uh, how those. Uh, uh, events can shape our way of inhabiting the world in a faithful uh, way. Yep. Uh, so uh, I, I recommend that book. I've used it in class before. Yeah. Well, Ben, it was nice to talk to you. My pleasure. Uh, Thank yeah. you. We'll uh, we'll see what happens with this. So okay. Guys, thank you for listening to the inaugural episode of the Remaining Sane, Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email remainingsanepodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's remainingsanepodcast at gmail.com. That was an excellent interview with Dr. Benjamin Mitchell. Also, if you want to connect with us on social media, our Twitter is remainingsanepc on Twitter. It's at remainingsanepc. Have a good rest of your day.